outdoors take us to summers away or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Hour friends, you might have noticed that today in your podcast feed, you're seeing three episodes back to back. Well, we're releasing three bonus episodes this month in October, all around national pregnancy and infant loss. On this episode, you're going to hear from my friends, Jonathan and Peta Pitts, who on January 28th lost their son to infant loss. They're so kind and generous to sit down and share parts of their story with us. I was moved to tears many moments in this conversation for their loss and also for their bravery. I was moved to tears and challenged in my faith with the way that they sought God for the life of their child. Obviously, this is a heavy conversation. And so if you've experienced loss and you're not ready for this, I say you just skip the episode and go on to some more episodes. I also want to say if you've never experienced loss this way, I was challenged to be a better friend to those around me that have experienced loss. Friends, I hope today as you listen to their story and they share the challenging season that they walked through with the Lord, with each other, with their emotions, with everything they've had to deal with this year. And we recorded this when this was just seven months earlier that they walked through this. And so they are still walking through so much grief and emotion. My hope for you as you listen is that you will hear Jesus in this episode and that you will hear hope, that you will hear that our pain is not too big for God and that we don't have to shy away from it. Jonathan and Peter are walking out something that nobody ever would choose or wants to walk out, and they are walking it out because they have great community and because they trust God with everything that he has for them. Friends, get your tissues because I guarantee you're going to shed some tears here. Here's a conversation with my friends, Jonathan and Peter Pitts, about infant loss. Jonathan and Peter, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie, glad to be with you. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having us on. Well, Jonathan's like an OG. He's been on here uh, forever (laughs) times. So, Peta, it is such an honor to meet you. And um, I wish that we were meeting in Nashville at a coffee shop, which maybe we should make happen. But I'm grateful to (laughs) meet you on the happy hour as well. Uh, You guys, I set up this conversation by letting everyone know that we're having a hard conversation. Um, October is actually infant and pregnancy loss um, 
Awareness Month. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I looked up a little research that started. This month started in 1988 by President Ronald Reagan declaring this. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what he said. President Reagan, he said this. He said, when a child loses his parent, they're called an orphan. When a spouse loses her, his partner, they're called a widow or a widower. When parents lose their child, there isn't a word to describe them. This month recognizes the loss so many parents experience across the United States and around the world. And so, um, I didn't even know there was a month, let alone. It's October. Here we are. I know. Um, It's October. and we're, so we're doing a couple of episodes. We have you guys on here. And we also have um, a friend coming up about miscarriage. Um, and it is a world of grief that is, I think, unique. And Jonathan, you could speak to this as someone who's walked through a bunch of grief. Um, you guys were married in October of 2021. Congratulations. Woo-woo. And then, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then in January of 2023 is when you walk through um severe trauma and grief. And so Jonathan, I'd love if you just set the stage by telling us a little bit what happened around those days in January. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying, you know, Pete and I, we married at 41 years old. And, um, I think one of our first greatest conversations when we were thinking about getting married is like, are we going to have kids? We want to have kids. And where we ended up is just like, we're going to let God do what God does, which I think is a good perspective for Christians. There you go. Have. Yes. But, you know, we got married and honestly, um, you I know, don't know if people know, but Jonathan had four daughters, teenage daughters already. I had no children yeah, when yeah. we met. So she's like, she steps into stepmomhood. Um, we actually, um, and this isn't a part of our, well, this is a part of our story, but not a part we'll talk about today, but we actually had a miscarriage like three months into marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so we actually had a beautiful marriage. We actually walked through that with- Had. You <laughs> <laughs> <I> still do. <laughs> we have a beautiful marriage. We've walked through a lot. Um, yeah, you have. Starting yeah. with a miscarriage. But even through that, like we just had great friendship and great partnership and God was mm. just kind of. So we get pregnant again, like, you know, only six or seven months after that miscarriage. And obviously we were really excited and really thankful to the Lord. And, you know, from the very beginning of our pregnancy, we knew that there were some little challenges with our little guy. Like one of the first things we found out at 16 weeks was that he had, um, actually they, they thought he had like a little, um, spot on his brain or a, what a, a cyst on his brain. And so we actually started going to the high risk doctor right away. And what would transpire from week 16 through week 34 was like visit after visit. And I would say bad news after bad mm. news with some, like we found out he's the cyst on his brain. And then we found out like that cyst was no longer there. He had his hole in his heart at one point. We found out the hole was no longer there. So we were like just up and down mm. riding the waves of like just trusting God with a life of, um, what we'd find out was our son. And um, long story short, um, you know, towards getting to the later part of our pregnancy, um, Peter's Peter's water got high, which was like an indication. Our doctor was just like, you know, something's going on. We don't know what it is. Um, And so um, I actually went out of town for a trip. She was at 33 weeks when I left town and she was doing great. Like she's just at 34 weeks. She's like super distended because her water's so high and she's still like working out and she's still, doing all the things that she does because she's amazing. Um, and I would actually land back in town um, on the evening of the 26th of January of um, 2023. And, you know, we knew we were going to probably have to have an in- induced labor like a couple weeks, I think four weeks early at that point. Yeah, we had scheduled um, it already. Our mm-hmm. last appointment with the doctor, she was like, I was 
measuring 41 weeks at 34 weeks. Mm -hmm. And she was like, your body is maxed. Like your uterus can get injured, all this sort of stuff. We're going to induce in February. He was due on the 3rd of March. Yeah. So I fly home from a work trip that she couldn't go on because they're just like, you shouldn't travel right now that she was going to go on. She actually picks me up from the airport and it's some of the like, I think worst words, I don't remember the exact words, but some of the worst words I ever heard, which was her telling me like, Hey, I haven't, I haven't felt Jonathan, our son move in a while. And I was like, what do you mean a while? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't remember. I can't remember the last time that he moved. And so mm. we're driving home um, from Nashville international airport, BNA. We pa- we're literally passing uh, Vanderbilt, the hospital on the way home. And I was like, Hey, just text our doctor. Um, and she texted her and she's an awesome godly woman. And she's like, Hey, just go into the hospital. And so we, we went in and she was like, go straight to triage. Yeah. So we went, we went there. Um, we go up and we saw probably prayerfully the most, you know, kind of disturbing image we'll ever see, which is our son not moving, um, mm-hmm. in an ultrasound. And it was like, it was honestly unbelievable. And, um, it's just unbelievable. Um, just to speed the story up, we had uh, two of Peter's best friends came, her girlfriends, and we just from the very beginning started praying for resurrection. Mm. And um, some beautiful things happened. Uh, another doctor came in that was a believer. We didn't know at the time and just kind of, I think, interceded for us in that time, prayed for us. He told us he prayed for us. But uh, we would end up going home that night. And they said, hey, just take some time. And we just prayed for resurrection for like mm. a we whole solid day. My yeah. best friends came over. Mm. Yeah, family and friends. Over. And then we'd go into the hospital that next night. Um, I would say Peter fully expecting um, a miracle and me mustering all the faith I could have mm-hmm. to believe that God could actually perform a miracle. Just the, I think the different ways that we're wired and mm-hmm. um, by God's grace, actually, that we're wired differently. But long story short, we prayed for a miracle. We'd go in that night. And w- what I really, really am grateful for, we went in that night both excited about laboring for our son. Mm-hmm. And so we would um, begin labor in the late evening. Um, and, uh, Peter, we, she, <laughs> I just supported her labor, He was awesome. but she had about 32 hours of labor and, mm. um, we had one of the most beautiful 24 hours or 32 hours of our life together as we labored together for our son. And mm. he would be born beautifully whole, beautiful little ablation baby, black Asian, white. <laughs> he has all the mixes yeah. in him. Beautiful little baby boy, four pounds, six ounces, I think he was. Yeah, 18 and a half inches long. Yeah, pretty long little guy um, mm-hmm. at six weeks early, and but he was born without a heartbeat. And we continued to pray. Five, he was five weeks Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, and Peter would continue uh-huh. to pray for, um, we both would continue to pray, but she was contending that God would resurrect our son. And mm. I would think she would say she probably had... Well, she did say she had more faith that God would resurrect him that she could than that she could actually go home without him. Mm. And uh, we stayed with him uh, almost two days in the hospital, and uh, then we'd take our little guy to a memorial center where we would bury him. And some really beautiful things have happened in our family. Uh, we're a blended mm-hmm. family, newly blended, and I would say that was one of the biggest pressure cookers on our blending that God's actually really beautifully used. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that started, you know, I don't know, the hardest couple months of our marriage and probably hardest couple months of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. I've been through loss of a spouse, which was obviously hard and significant. And this was really hard and significant. And I'm walking mm-hmm. with my wife who, you know, 
we're hoping that we're going to have this baby. And I mean, really quickly, we found out we weren't mm. uh, going to bring him home. So Jonathan Caleb Valor Pitts is his name, mm. which means God gave wholehearted courage in the day of battle, which was really meaningful for us. And yeah. Jonathan um, Caleb Valor Pitts. Yeah. Beautiful name. Beautiful, beautiful name. Guy. Beautiful name. Peta, uh, we were talking beforehand. And um, Jonathan even alluded to it a lot here about the faith that you had in those four or five days that God would resurrect your son. And um, on this side of, you know, it's, you know, August when recording this, this happened in January. I'm in awe of even hearing the story about that. And, and I confess that I yearn for that type of faith in my life. I want to know from you going into that labor and delivery knowing what the doctors have said, knowing that knowledge, and then having the faith that you had, that what your God could do. What was, what was that like for you of those two things merging together? I felt very held and very suspended by the faith. It's funny. Mm. I, I thought a lot afterwards about how faith, the Bible says faith is the substance. And I did feel like I was standing on a substance, not necessarily concrete, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I did really feel that. And it's interesting, like after the fact, like, you know, months of processing, like you said, I have in moments thought about, you know, how much of that was faith and how much of that was my will. Mm. And, and I do, I, it's hard, you know, because they're, they're so intertwined and it's only once you get into that position and a scripture that was really, surrounding me I meditated on I chewed on I spat out <laughs> I chewed on again was you know in first Peter when it talks about these trials have come for the proving of the genuineness of your faith mm. so in a way I felt like God gave me the gift of faith to believe and mm. I mean it was really radical the testimonies that we heard about children resurrected in the womb children resurrected at birth from people I knew who had seen or heard these things firsthand that really stirred my faith. And I was just like, God's going to do it again. You know, the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. And I believe like, you know, obviously I had really dark moments where I was like, why would you give me that faith if we were just going to walk this out? And I was really angry and there was a lot of dark days, but ultimately I'm really grateful that God did one because that faith is everlasting. Mm. When we are like, a moment life and death like this really pushes do you believe what you believe about the the shortness of this life and yeah. the length of the next mm. and the treasure that you're storing up in the next. Mm. And I'm also really grateful for the faith that God gave me because without it, I couldn't have labored for my son. And even though it was one of the greatest tragedies I've ever walked through, it was also one of the greatest gifts mm. to be able to labor for him in that way. And I couldn't have done it if I didn't firmly in the foundation of my being believe that I felt like in my, in my spirit, in my, you know, I call it my sanctified imagination. I could hear his first breath Mm. and the doctors were like, you know, that this, like we had to sign documents about what do you want done with the body? Can we have it for research? Like it was full on. Mm. And I was like, Jonathan was phenomenal. He, he took care of most of that. And this is all before the induction yeah. began. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, like the doctors talking us through, like this is 
where it's at. And I was like, I want another ultrasound. They were so kind. They were so generous. They gave me every ultrasound I wanted, mm. prayed and prayed again. I want another ultrasound. <laughs> like, And nobody ever made me feel like I was a lunatic, <laughs> which mm. was amazing. They were Thanks. so generous. Um, at Vandy, that's where Vanderbilt, we, we gave birth. And, you know, I was offered drugs that would make it easier um, to pass and, you know, quicken the labor and all that sort of stuff. And I was just like, no, because that would obviously be like a termination. And mm-hmm. um, and then even to the point where I had, when I was before and before we lost the heartbeat on the 26th, you know, obviously it's my first time giving birth and all that. So I was reading all the books, doing all the research, following a doula online and had already decided I wanted to labor without really any pain medication and Mm -hmm. was just like, I believe I'm designed for this. Obviously, if it gets to a point where I really need it and I can't do it, I'm not against it. So Mm -hmm. I will have it. But I had read somewhere along the way that um, when you have an epidural, it can slow the labor and it can slow your heart rate, obviously, because it lets your body know like you're not in as much pain as you think you are. So then your Mm -hmm. heart rate slows down and it can slow the baby's heart rate. Mm. And because, you know, we lost the heartbeat, I just was like, I just want to give him every chance that I can. And so, yeah, we labored without an epidural or anything. And it was phenomenal. Mm. Like truth be told, it really did feel, we, uh, my doctor actually, our OB texted us a couple of days after we left the hospital. And like Jonathan mentioned, she's a believer as well. And she was like, I've delivered, hundreds and hundreds of babies and you could feel the Holy Spirit like not only saturated in your room but in the hallways at Vanderbilt Mm. like everybody could feel it there was something other going on Mm. and so I'm really grateful for that like obviously on the darkest days afterwards I was just like what was that for (laughs) you know for for sure all of that kind of thing but it's yeah I couldn't I couldn't have gone through that because labor is so intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't have gone through that if I didn't truly believe he was going to be born alive. Mm. I really believed he was going to be born alive. And then when he wasn't and I couldn't hear him breathing, I remember he came out, like I pushed and he, I felt I felt him crowning and then I like breathed for a second and then I pushed again and I felt his shoulders and his whole body go through. And it was like just this surreal moment where there was so much happening in the room. My best friend was in there. She was kind of my unofficial midwife. She was worshiping and praying. Like there were nurses and midwives and doctors and in reality, in, in, in an earthly reality, there was this kind of chaos and all of this noise mm-hmm. and movement. And, and in my spirit, I guess, where I was immediately after the labor, it was silent. Like it, mm. there was this total like tunnel of silence where, I was just listening. I was listening for him to just go and start crying because I Mm. believed it so much in my heart. Mm. And I remember at one point, maybe like a few seconds had gone by where I was just listening so intently. I was still on all fours. That's how I Mm -hmm. delivered. And and then our doctor called out like, Peter, do you want to pick him up? He's out. And I was like, I know, I know. She was like, he's underneath (laughs) you. And I picked him up. And as I picked him up, I, of course, you know, I thought that he moved and Mm. I was like, I felt him, he moved. And I remember she just looked at me and was just like, he's not moving. And I was like, he will, he will, you know, and just held him for the longest time, sang to him, prayed over him, told him how much we loved him and we were so proud of him. And 
how brave he was to come into the world and be here and how much we wanted to take him home and kind of stayed in that sort of posture for, yeah, it felt like three days because he was born at like three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So technically it was sort of two and a half days, but it, it kind of carried, it felt like the third day by the time we left the hospital. And yeah, I just, the whole time, I don't know where it came, it just came from the Lord. You know, it's a gift, mm. faith. It's, I can't take ownership of it. And Jonathan was right. I did say that to him in the hospital. There was a moment where I was holding baby Jonathan and I remember just saying to God, if you don't do this for me, I know you can. If you don't raise my son, I'm done with you. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And then really quickly I was like, I repent, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was so just like, I know that you can do this, God. Like, I know it's nothing for you. I know it's nothing for you. And, I mean, I prayed everything I knew how to pray. I prayed from the Bible. I declared. Mm. I begged. I was a persistent widow. Like, I just, all the ways that the mm. Bible tells us how to pray. Like, yeah. I asked for God's mercy and prophetically declared stuff and, and then in the end, there just came this moment. We'd been, we'd been moved out of labour and delivery into the postpartum ward and we were still with him and we were just laying in this bed. And, gosh, they were so generous the way they just let us. They just were just like, take as much time as you mm. want. And I was just like, I, I don't know how to leave. Yeah. I actually don't know how to leave. I can't, I can't get in the car without my son. Like, mm. And I remember just saying that to the Lord, like, please don't let me leave here without my son. Like, I don't know how to do that. And, you know, funnily enough, was praying what Jesus prayed in the garden. And I just was like, God, don't make me drink this cup. Like, you're my father. Please don't make me drink this cup. I can't drink it. I don't know how to drink it. I don't want to drink it. Jonathan's going to have to drink it. I'm going to have to drink it. Our girls are going to have to drink it. Like, this is, and they've already lost their mom. Like, I just mm -hmm. was like, this is too much. And I don't really remember clearly the transition point, but there just came a moment in my heart where I just was like, I think it was like more like a question, like, is it possible that it's just not your will for him to be on earth? Like, mm. and I remember just whispering, like holding him in the bed and and just like in my heart of hearts just saying literally to the Lord, I yield. Mm. I yield to you. I don't understand you, but I yield to you. Like, And if your will is not resurrection, I yield. And that's just kind of been a journey since then still. <laughs> Doors take us to summers away or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. 
when the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. One of the things that you talked about, Peter and Jonathan, I'd love to hear from you as well, how this transpired in those days afterwards. It's, you said very real, Peter, you said, if you don't do this, I'm done. And I think that's a relatable statement. That is not like, there's no one that goes like, oh, I can't believe she said that. Wow. (laughs) What a woman of small faith. Like, even though I have never been in the situation that you and Jonathan were in, I have been in situations that have been so very traumatic and full of suffering Mm -hmm. that I have thought those same words. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. We're not alone. My question for you is, what does it look like to walk that out on the other side for both of you? Um, Because infant loss at your stage, you did leave the hospital without your son. Mm -hmm. And you did have to do the thing you said that I don't know how to do this. So what did it look like for you guys, not only to say, I yield to your will, but to say, I still have hope. I still have faith. I still believe you're still good. That's a huge question. You're probably still walking through all of that, but what did that look like Mm -hmm. on the other side of those days? I'll answer first. I mean, for me, I think I was, for whatever reason, willing to accept the cup mentally Mm. and ultimately like what that looked like for me to yield was actually to walk with my wife as tenderly as I could and actually borrow like I would say like not just with the loss of Jonathan but even our miscarriage like walking with her closely and Mm. receiving her in in all of her turmoil and anger and sadness as much as I could because we had days where we argued for different the different ways that we process stuff but walking with her I actually was able to borrow from her Mm. like what it actually meant to lose him like to I think it's easier for men for whatever reason to process maybe not all men but some men to process through that at least cognitively and you know not necessarily maybe just pass by it and she's helped Mm -hmm. me kind of like access emotions to kind of live in it and realize I had I have a son you know Mm -hmm. so I think part of it was just walk like in walking in yielding, it was walking to what that cup meant. It means like a lot of heartache, a lot of grief, a lot of listening, a lot of processing through things that I probably would just like quickly pass through. Because I think, you know, oftentimes like in our grief, not just with the loss of a baby, but loss of a spouse or loss in general, mm-hmm. if we know how to just turn it off, then we can turn it off. And we're not really yielding because we're just not processing. Mm-hmm. We're just like, mm-hmm. you know, so I think for me, it was like slowing down enough to actually walk through it. It was actually really beautiful. We got to, we actually did leave with him. We took him, we actually took him out of the hospital with us. We had to sign some waivers and stuff, but we actually drove out of the hospital with him in this little beautiful basket. And it wasn't a beautiful basket. It was like a laundry basket. It It felt beautiful to me in the moment. It was was like this big plastic, but it was was beautiful to us. They did the best they could to make it. Did that feel helpful for you guys? Yes. Yes. So even like that, the process of, leaving with him we we took him um right to a funeral home that was lovely i mean a lovely amazing mm. people that received us and even that felt it it bizarrely felt like answered prayer mm-hmm. mm. like i think that was the 
and was and is and continues to be the biggest thing. Like I've always been in my faith journey, a big sort of marker of stones, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, builder of memorials, whatever, like the remembrance stones when God Mm -hmm. did, like what God did. And so I think the biggest thing that's under assignment with something like this is the goodness of God. Mm. It's like the garden, you know, is he really good? Did Mm -hmm. he really say? Mm -hmm. And that's just, I do feel like there's been some cracks in that for me. Like as I've walked it out, it's, I've been like, wow, God, I feel like I can't see you clearly. Like Mm. in this process, I feel like I don't know who you are. I feel like more than ever you're Lord and sovereign, but I thought you were my friend. And there's Mm. been a lot of questioning in that, but ultimately like just even listening to you say that I'm like oh there were so many moments where we saw the goodness of God even in the midst of the horror of it Mm. all because really really I can't even say actually honestly deep down inside I believed that it was like I refused to believe anything else Mm-hmm. even when I felt the darkest moments of like, who are you? I don't know who you are. I just, it was like, I just, you know, sometimes we really can position our heart. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's really hard. And there were definitely days where I was railing against God and I was like, you know, he's so kind. He's like, you know, we had some little fights and I'm like, I was screaming. <laughs> like, and I'm like, screaming. I'm like, you're not allowed to say cuss words. I was, <laughs> <just screaming. laughs> I was like, I want to die. Like, <laughs> it was just so full on. And, you know, we had, some yeah, we had some counseling and he gave us so much great advice. Like one, he recommended a book to me called um, The Voice of the Heart. Mm. which is about chipped out as the author yeah it's about emotions and essentially the the sort of core message of the book is emotion there's no emotion that's bad he lists Mm. eight core emotions and then he's like every emotion has a gift and an impairment attached to it Mm. you can receive the gift of that emotion oh a gift an impairment and a need and so when we went to counseling and jonathan was like i don't know how to deal with the way that she's been (laughs) and uh and we sort of you know explained this one really it was probably the biggest it wasn't even an argument it was just really like a volatile expression of just lots of feelings Mm -hmm. and I didn't really feel like he was hearing me so I was escalating and literally to the point where I was like you don't get it I don't want to live anymore like Mm -hmm. you know when we talked about this in counseling our amazing counselor was just like basically asked Jonathan, like, do you think she wants to die? And he was like, no. And he, then he asked me, he was like, do you want to die? And I was like, no. I went for a walk into the soccer field 20 minutes later and cried and repented and was like, God, I love being here. Please don't. Please, like, I don't actually want to die. And he was yeah. like, yeah. And explained to us, like, this this is not a, this is not a suicide warning. Like, this mm-hmm. is a cry of this is how deep my pain is and yeah. you're not getting it. Like, I'm in so much pain. I don't know how to live past this moment because it's like ripping me into. Mm. And the need is to be heard. And the need of anger. Like it was coming mm. out in anger and then he talks about it in that book and our counsellor talked about to us that day and he was like, the need of anger is to be heard. Mm. And so basically he said to Jonathan, you just got to let it. You just mm. got to hear it. Like you just got to let because otherwise you're basically communicating that she has to stuff that down somewhere. Mm. And that's actually what you don't want. Like you want it to come out, which Mm -hmm. I really feel like is, you know, we saw 
it wasn't the way that I wanted God to answer the prayer. Like, please don't make me leave this place without my son. But we left with him, mm-hmm. you know, and that wasn't the way I wanted the prayer to be answered, but it meant a lot to me. This is really graphic and apologize to anyone who's listening who's been through this and didn't have the experience that we had but it meant a lot to me that our son never went to the morgue Mm. and wasn't handled by lots of people in the hospital after we left and like I just couldn't manage that Mm. I was like Mm -hmm. I mentally will never sleep again if I don't know where he is like even though I know he's in heaven and all you know all that stuff but it was it really it really meant a lot to me and the way that God answered it, like we had friends that we didn't even know had walked through this before, Mm. you know, 13 years before or something. Mm -hmm. And a really good friend of Jonathan's reached out and was like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but these people went through that and they have a daughter buried at this amazing place. And he didn't tell me that was early on. That was like the day he was born. And Jonathan didn't tell me about it until after I had actually two days later, I prayed this yielding prayer Mm. and I started to say to him, this might not be God's will and we've got to yield to it if it's not. And we've got to just say, not my will but yours, God. And so then we began to kind of fleece, like, what, what is your will, God? Like mm-hmm. we really, I really began to ask rather than just saying, life has to be your will and I believe that. And, and, um, and so, yeah, then we contacted this place. They were actually closed when we called. We left a message and because it was a Sunday and, um, and then we prayed, like we sat in this hospital bed with our son and we just were like, God, if resurrection is not your will, let them receive our son today. Mm. Like, so then he's just in the place where he's going to be buried and no, he's not moved around or anything else. And if that happens, it's weird. That will feel like a miracle, <laughs> you know, like that yeah. will feel like, anyway, they called us back amazingly there was somebody there and they were like we don't usually receive on Sundays blah 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 but we'll take him wow so we were actually able to yeah then it was kind of this weird process where we had to go back to the hospital and they were like you already said you were gonna leave him here and we were like we I know but it's changed and they were like we don't know if this is legal anyway we went through that process and so that was another prayer point of like God like make a way So it, it did feel like God was with us, mm-hmm. even in it, even though, you know, at the memorial, I said this thing, like, we prayed so many prayers in that sort of 72-hour cycle. And in reality, I mean, it was the biggest prayer I was praying for, but in reality, there was really only one prayer that wasn't answered. It was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was resurrection, you know, mm-hmm. but it was... There were actually more answered prayers mm. than not, like the labor, like oh. the getting to leave with him, like some of the encounters that we had with different people that worked in the hospital and even beginning to see the legacy of his life and the mm. way that his birth and had just touched people and opened people's hearts. And so I think that would be something I would want to say to people, like if you can, if you can position your heart even mm. in the if you can let yourself grieve and let yourself be angry and let it be okay that you have dark days and on the days when you can remember that God is good, Mm. remind yourself that God is good, position your heart, you know, against all odds, against everything that's happened, against what you've been through, 
to just determine that God is good, you will see it. Mm. You know, there's that scripture, I would have lost heart if I had not believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have lost heart. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of days where I was like, I'm losing heart. Mm. But when you when you can have that determination, like he's he is who he says he is, and this feels like a life-defining experience, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be a God-defining experience, you know, mm-hmm. like who mm-hmm. God is can actually redefine everything that you walk through afterwards. Yeah. And we saw a lot of his goodness in it, and that, I think, made a massive difference a massive difference you know we I had um I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tadashi he's a recording artist Mm -hmm. I had him on at the end of um August I believe it was and him and his wife walked through loss of a child and one of the things he talked about was that he's like there was no manual for what we were supposed to do like we it was like this new normal that nobody could tell us how to do it and I think about that even with you guys I mean the time we're interviewing it's been seven months since you lost your son. I mean, it is like the freshest of the freshest of the freshest. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, especially in maybe this kind of tender, vulnerable part that you're in, for someone that's listening that maybe this isn't part of their story, they haven't, by the grace of God, somehow walked through ginormous loss in their life yet. Of any way, I don't just mean loss of a child, I mean of any loss. What were some of the kindest ways that your community met you? in the midst of those days, January, I mean, you even had a miscarriage before you said, so even through like January 26th through today, August 15th, like in these seven months, how is the community that you've been surrounded by? How have they pointed you to God? How have they loved you? Mm -hmm. How can you encourage those of us that are listening? How do we be community to people who are walking through extreme tragedy? That's such a good question. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's crazy because I remember Peter being like, this is unreal. I mean, we live in like a pretty Bible belt kind of area, which makes it everybody's a Christian. Who's a Christian? Like it's kind of all those questions when you live in a Bible belt area, but the body of Christ showed up for us. And I think for me, like the most important thing is that they just cared enough to actually show up. Like Mm -hmm. my buddy Gabe, who showed up at the hospital, you know, it was on the first day, the first morning. And he's just like, Hey, just when you need me, I'm here. Like you're, mm-hmm. you know, like if God doesn't resurrect your son, I know you're praying for resurrection. Like you're going to have to bury him. You're going to need a grave site. You're going to need this. Reunion. And he cared enough to not be like, ah, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be awkward. He just showed up and it meant the world to me that he showed up. And because he showed up, he had other people step in that showed up. And it was just like, people just continue to show up. You know, lots of people, people don't know how to say it. this is, you know, when I lost uh, my late wife, like, lots of people say stuff and you know, they don't mean what they say. They say all kinds of stuff. Same thing happened with Jonathan. Like sometimes people can say the wrong thing, but I'd rather them show up and say the wrong thing than say nothing at all. So I just really Mm -hmm. value when people actually just are willing to step in. I mean, people stepped in to help us find a grave site, the program Mm -hmm. for the memorial service and Mm -hmm. meals and so many flowers. By the end Mm -hmm. of the flowers, we were like, Oh my gosh, she's trying to keep, she's like a plant lady. So (laughs) she's trying to keep all these flowers alive. She was like wearing herself out. But in general, the fact that people care enough to get outside of their own fears of Mm -hmm. like saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing meant the world to me. So I think that's the, for most of us, the automatic setting, even as Christ followers is, I'll just be quiet so I don't mm-hmm. mess something up. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll find another time. And then it just gets awkward because you never, you know, I'm sorry I didn't reach out three months ago. You have some of those conversations, you know. 
tours take us to summers away or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. A long time ago, someone was on my show who she had lost a spouse. She had lost her husband. And she said something to me that I have never forgotten. And it has been just, it has been so useful for me in walking through loss with people. Is she said, she said, sometimes people are afraid to say his name. Like it'll make me sad mm-hmm. or it'll upset me. And Jonathan, you may have experienced this with losing winter. People would say like, oh, I, I don't, I don't think I should bring him up or I don't want to say anything. And she said to me, she said, I love when people talk about my late husband. I love when people Mm -hmm. say his name because it reminds me that he had life, that he lived, that he mattered. And so I'm wondering if you guys feel that way seven months in as well. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I just want to say on the, on the previous question for me, I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, you know, where your audience sits, but I had just moved to Franklin from LA Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a year and a little bit before and was kind of like here going like, oh, everyone's so (laughs) nice. Like, but I did find sort of um, it difficult to penetrate. Like Mm. everybody was like really hospitable and really lovely. And I was like, is this real? I'm not really sure. And I really missed LA terribly for the longest time. And um, I remember when Jonathan was born, first of all, everybody at Vanderbilt and just the care that we got, the generosity that we were shown, the, like I've already said, the endless amounts of time that we were given to just remain in the hospital and all of that. I was just like already so thankful that we were here and not there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and then really quickly afterwards, I think it's somebody that you work with uh, arranged a meal train for us. And it was like three and a half months long or yeah, something. Crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Two months, yeah. It was long. It was crazy. And people like didn't just bring dinner. They brought like dinner and gifts and candles and wine and cards and like like we're just dropping off your meal train and there would be the most beautiful meal and mm. a beautiful bottle of wine and a gorgeous scented candle and I don't know, something for the girls. Like it was so, it just blew my mind. And I was like, oh, wow, we live in the South and this is real. Like Mm. it really, I wanted to mention it because I feel like it gets a hard rap Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had Mm -hmm. given it a hard rap. Mm -hmm. You know, I had been here kind of being like, I miss LA and people (laughs) are so real and here I'm not sure. Like, and I really, I actually repented and I was just like, wow, God, like Mm. the body here is so beautiful it's different. Like it's totally different. Mm. 
but it's so beautiful. And I was so grateful. And it really did mean a lot. Like people brought us things, a lot of people I didn't even know, you know, mm-hmm. that, and it really did help as well. And, um, and I just wanted to say this one thing that is just sort of silly, but practical if someone's listening and they have a friend who's gone through big loss or whatever, just don't ask what they're doing next. Mm. <laughs> because yeah. I got asked that, like, it was really hard for me to leave the house. And I think one of the first times we went out, I actually rode with you while you went golfing with a friend. And it was like one of the first people I'd seen since it happened. And, you know, I'm an actress and whatever. And he was like, oh, Jonathan tells me you're an actress. What are you doing now? Like, what's coming up now? And, I, you know, what are you going to do next? And I was like, <sighs> I was like, well, I just had a baby uh-huh. five, six weeks ago. So I just, you know, I'm. it was so hard and it really, mm. it was very triggering. And it mm. felt like to me that was a question that I got asked a number of times when I saw people like, so what are you going to do now? Like mm. that was really triggering. And I didn't, at, in the beginning, I didn't handle it very well. I just got mm-hmm. really angry and was like, you wouldn't ask me that if I had a baby. Mm-hmm. You're only asking me that because I don't have my baby with me. I think you actually said that. Really? I didn't never say that to anyone, but I just, in my you heart. thought it. Like, yeah. I thought, thought it, it, which is the same. And like, you could tell she thought it because. Oh, know, yeah. I just really was like, yeah, I just was like, you would never say that to a woman who had, who was had a child that was mm-hmm. six weeks old. Like, what are you going to yeah. do now? Like, mm-hmm. are you going to go back to work? That's what a lot of people asked me. Like, mm. So I just really wanted to say that if yeah. anyone was listening because it was really, that was a real, and I I became, I got more grace. Like I got more like people just yeah. don't know what to say. It's okay. Like they're just trying to, but it was, yeah, it was just triggering on a lot of different mm. levels where I was like, you wouldn't ask me that if I had my baby. I also have no idea. I thought my whole year was going to be with a newborn. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you want me to say? Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I don't feel physically ready to go back to work. Like, you know, we, Jonathan mentioned we we got married in October 2021 and we had a miscarriage in February of the following year. So when Jonathan was born, I remember afterwards I kept thinking about, because I just felt ravaged physically and, mm. you know, the milk came in and it was just such a huge, hard process and my body was just, I felt obliterated. And, you know, even the Bible says, like, for the joy set before you like after the labor she forgets and I was mm. like when you don't have that joy it's like mm. the pain of it the cost of it it all feels very heavy you and, can't ignore it yeah yeah, yeah and the, I remember there was like a week or two after Jonathan was born I was looking back and I was like of the 14 or 15 months that we had been married, Mm. I had been pregnant for 11 and a half months Mm. and I had no child. Like Mm. it was so, and I felt like every time I looked at myself, I could see it. Like Mm. I was just, I could see it in my body. And I was like, it's really funny. Like the things that you don't know when you haven't had a baby, like how you get this funny little dark ring around your belly button Mm -hmm. afterwards. And it was sort of this gray purple color. And every time I looked at it, it just felt like a grave. Mm. It just, like, my whole body just felt like I had paid this huge price for something. Mm. And, you know, obviously because we'd been pregnant and had a miscarriage before and all of that, I just was like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was hard. (laughs) It's very, very hard because you have the physical physical signs after birthing a baby. Right. But your baby, Jonathan, wasn't here. 
Yeah. And so you're having to grapple with all that at the same time of Yeah. And it was kind of a funny journey afterwards as well. Like I I mean, this probably makes me sound really vain, I don't know, but it was real for me where it was almost like then once I could because he wasn't here, I just wanted to lose the weight really quickly. Mm. Like I just wanted to get, I just wanted to get normal or something. Mm-hmm. Like I was whatever just that like, might I mean. Just, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I just want my body back so that I'm not. I just felt so heavy and so worn and all of the things. And then that was really shocking how hard that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and especially not nursing and every YouTube thing I watched about post baby loss, it was all about like often like hold your baby and nurse uh-huh. and thing. And that was really hard. And then yeah. this fun, I remember there was this funny transition moment where I'd start, like it was like my body was starting to get ready to let go of some of the weight. And that was also part of the grieving process. And it was so weird, Jamie, when it started to come off, I felt all this panic. Mm. And it was like, all of a sudden, I didn't want to lose any of the weight because it was like the only physical evidence I had that he was here. I was like, this is the only, this is all I have of him. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's kind of a funny process. Like it's in and out, up and down and you have really good days and then you just have really hard days. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing I'll say, um, and this is not to minimize because there's so much of this that I didn't walk through. My body didn't change. You know, mm-hmm. there's like there's so much difference between Peter's experience of this and mine. But the one thing that we we argued about a lot, we talked about a lot, we wrestled with a lot in the Word of God is just the reality that in sharing in his sufferings, we actually share with his glory. Yeah. So this whole time through mm. her body, and I mean it was a it was a massive sacrifice. It was a ma- like. Her body's still like it's still not mm-hmm. the same. Like in terms mm-hmm. of like, there's certain movements she can't make. You know, there's lots of stuff yeah. that she's still paying the price for. But somehow, some way, we're trying to remind ourselves, convince ourselves, walk in that sharing in his sufferings. So good. Somehow, somehow, because we're still like in the mystery of it, um, allow us to share in his glory, and that's mm-hmm. much better than anything else we could ever want. And the only thing that offers us that is our faith. Like there's no other way to get that, which I'm really grateful for because I, there's still no, there's still no trade-off. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's still nothing that's like, Oh, this was worth it because X, Mm -hmm. Y, or Z. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, like Mm if, yeah, this friend is like maybe considering God now because they're watching us journey this. And at one point she's like, if I had to choose between having my baby and that friend, I think I'd choose my baby. So it's like, it's a real mystery, but it is like, okay. Even if we don't like it, it's true. Like God says, mm-hmm. you're going to share my suffering. And none mm-hmm. of us know how. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. different. I remember, Jonathan, I saw Alina in February. And um, I remember saying, like, I'm I'm just so sorry for mm. what your dad and Peter are walking through. And I didn't say this to her, and I hesitate to say it now. But I thought in myself, I thought... I thought, God, I'm really angry with you because this just mm-hmm. isn't fair. This is just like, I probably curse. I'm sometimes I curse when I pray to God. I think that's okay, right? <laughs> Peter, tell me, like, I'm yeah. like <laughs> he knows my heart. But I literally was just like, God, I just don't, I don't see, I don't see why you would, I don't see why you would do this. And, mm-hmm. and I hear you guys saying the exact same thing. And, and the reason I bring that up is because for anyone else that's listening, that has either walked this road or is walking another road. I don't want them to think that you two or myself or anybody, quite frankly, has the suffering thing figured out. 
Like you even no. just said, Jonathan, that it's like we're we're walking through this, we're wrestling with it, we're trying hard. And so I think one of the mysteries of following Jesus is the mystery of what you said, of sharing in his suffering and sharing in his glory. Mm-hmm. And somehow we don't understand it, and maybe we will not until we get to see him. Um, we walk by faith, just step by step. And I just I'm really grateful for you guys saying yes to this interview. Um this is something that you are still knee deep, maybe maybe neck deep, I don't know, eyeball deep that you guys are still walking through. And so I'm grateful for your vulnerability with me today. Um and I know I know that there are people listening that are gonna that are gonna be very seen right now through your story. So thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, glad to, Jamie. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Hey, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did when I sat down with Jonathan and Peta to hear their story. I want to tell you a little update. If you don't follow Jonathan um, or his wife, Pete, on Instagram, uh, you might not know this, but they just announced that they actually are pregnant and they are having another baby. And I'm wanting to tell you guys here because you just listened to their story. And when I interviewed them, I knew that they were pregnant and I, and I knew that information, but it wasn't something that we wanted to or needed to or could talk about at the time. But I thought I'd let you know that they are expecting again. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell, and the show is edited by Jason Talley. Doors take us to summers away, or winter adventures, and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.